Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Ah, Heard Tell, it's Wednesday, January the 5th, 2022. How many times have you written 2021 so far this year? Uh, how many more days before you get that right? But it's 2022. Glad you are with us. We got a lot of show today. We're going to cover, uh, we're going to talk, rewind the Elizabeth Holmes verdict from Monday night a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk a little law and bad legal takes with our friend M. Carpenter. Uh, we're going to cover some other things, Betty White's naked hot dogs and other dogs a little later on as a nice little end note. But we're going to start with a story we've been covering pretty regularly on Herdtel. You've probably heard tell about China. Yes, they're loud and important. Uh, economic news, we always end up having to talk about China. Foreign policy, we always end up having to talk about China. And human rights, of course, we end up having to talk about China. And as we've talked about on this program over and over and over again the last few weeks, the year of 2022, especially the first part of the year, is going to be dominated by talking about China and the ruling Communist Chinese Party that uh, is the dictatorship that controls that country. They have the Olympics. Uh, we already talked about the Ping Shui situation, the tennis player, how we watched her be reprogrammed in real time right before our eyes and watched how the media and news media covered that and how the manipulation was right in front of us and deciding how that works. Writing in the Washington Post uh, in the opinion section, Minky Warden has a piece. Uh, Minky Warden is director of global initiatives at Human Rights Watch and an editor, Human Rights Watch, and editor of China's Great Leap, the Beijing Games and Olympian Human Rights. And the piece is titled Human Rights Abuses Will Taint the Olympics and the World Cup. It's time to end sports washing. Sports washing is in quote. Now, let's read a little bit of this. In 2019, then International Ski Federation President Gianfranco Casper told a German newspaper that the Olympics are, quote, easier in dictatorships. Kind of mark that in the back of your head. Easier in dictatorships. That's a direct quote. The Honorary International Olympic Committee member was referring to the awarding of the 2020 Winter Olympics to China. Dictators can organize events such as this without asking the people's permission, Casper said. He walked back his comments under pressure. But he had already said out loud what many sports federation leaders think in private. Again, this is Minky Warden writing in the Washington Post. Uh, this is an opinion piece, by the way. I want to make sure you filter that in. The Beijing Winter Olympics open in a month, and the FIFA World Cup kicks off in November in Qatar, while the world's two biggest sporting events being hosted by major human rights abusers this year is forcing an overdue reckoning for the powerful sports bodies that for years have sidelined their formal commitments to human rights. The Olympics and World Cup each year have audience of more than 3 billion people worldwide, 
almost half the global population, for which is why China and Qatar so badly want to refashion their image as glamorous sporting hosts in good standing in the world. Remember that. And why they are effectively sports washing their abysmal human rights records. Sports washing is not new. Russia used hosting to spin its image in the 80 Olympics and in the 2018 World Cup. The 2008, the Beijing Summer Olympics were advertised as a force for good, but instead featured journalists arrested, migrant labor issues, and a repression of civil society. Chinese and Qatari authorities have spent vast sums on public relations to win over fans. The IOC failed to punish Chinese leaders for breaking their empty Olympic promises and in 2015 awarded Beijing the 2022 Winter Games. Since then, President Xi Jinping, that's China's Xi Jinping, government has arrested journalists, women's rights activists and lawyers, dismantled freedoms in Hong Kong, and committed crimes against humanity in Zhejiang, including mass detentions, torture, sexual abuse, and cultural persecution of the Uyghurs and other Turkic Muslim minority populations. The crimes against humanity are among the gravest human rights abuses under international law, making the Chinese government the wrong host for an event the IOC claims will, quote, celebrate humanity. The IOC has not uttered a word about these abuses. Meanwhile, in Qatar, eight new or renovated stadiums will host 32 teams for the FIFA World Cup. It's even bigger than the Olympics. Human Rights Watch has documented the infrastructure of the World Cup events has been built via the abusive Kafala labor sponsorship system, leading to hundreds and possibly thousands of preventable worker deaths. In some cases, practices may amount to modern slavery. Qatar is the world's richest nation per capita, but 2 million migrant workers have little power to bring complaints or escape abuse when employers control their exit from the country, residency, and ability to change jobs. Many employers exploit this control by confiscating the workers' passports, forcing them to work excessive hours, and denying them wages. Peace goes on to bring up Ping Shui that we've also mentioned, and then it concludes this way. I want you to listen very carefully to what Minky Warden's saying right here. The IOC and FIFA, that FIFA runs the World Cup, find themselves in a new world where, they, where there will be a cost to coddling dictatorships. In December, the United States, Britain, Canada, Australia, Japan, the last Olympic host, announced a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Winter Olympics. In the new era of close scrutiny of corporate social responsibility, Olympic corporate sponsors, including Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble, Intel, Visa, and Airbnb, have been called to the U.S. Congress to explain their funding of sports washing. This sports animus hubris may ultimately prove how necessary human rights are to staging med- mega events. The IOCNF and FIFA should reverse course and back athletes and human rights over profits. If they can keep covering up for China and Qatar, their brands will be at great risk. If they acknowledge they can no longer sell games to the highest authoritarian bidder, they might survive 2022 by promising future games will be awarded on the basis of basic human rights and the values of the athletes and fans expect them to share. That's from Mickey Warden in the Washington Post. I do not share his conclusion. Uh, they're not only going to get away with it, but it's already baked into the cake that they will get away with it. Take, for example, China's mastery over the National Basketball Association here in America, where the merest utterance of complaint by one of the NBA's GMs led to him basically getting drubbed out of the game for all practical purposes because there's so much money involved. You cannot get 
athletes, even ones who are very outspoken on, on social justice issues and human rights issues, to open their mouths and say a blessed thing about China. There's too much money involved. China has long used its economic power to excuse and to pay off the world for its human rights abuses, for its abuses of the people that they have under their control, for their territorial and influence expansion that is ongoing as we speak. The IOC, the International Olympic Committee, despite what they present you on television, is one of the most corrupt organizations on the planet. They launder money. It's a giant, it's very, if you just look at the money itself, it's pretty indistinguishable by how gangsters work. They come in, they skim money off the bills, they take money from the people, the host countries and host cities always end up with massive, massive debts and all kinds of problems. Meanwhile, the IOC and the sponsors get all the money and move on to the next thing. It's a pretty good working scam they get going here, but because we drape it in the flags of the country and patriotism and competition, people tolerate this nonsense. We're not going to tolerate it here. We're going to call it what it is. It's massively corrupt. It's always been corrupt. It's always going to be corrupt. It's all about the money. There's no such thing as the Olympic spirit. Now, that doesn't mean I won't watch it, and that doesn't mean I'm not going to cheer for the flag and anybody on Team USA, and I hope we crush the competition, especially China, on the field or on the ski slopes or on the half pipe or on the ice or whatever the event may be. I want to win. I'd feel a lot better if we weren't going at all. I know people say that's not fair to the athletes. I understand that. But there's always going to be an excuse to not do the right thing. I feel bad for the athletes, but we shouldn't be participating at all. That's just my humble but accurate opinion. Because the world organizations and the power brokers are going to spin this for China exactly like what it is, a giant propaganda coup. And they'll do the same thing for the World Cup and Qatar. Now, Qatar might actually get more flack because they're not the economic powerhouse that China is. And their system of indentured servitude for these migrant workers is absolutely abysmal. It's basically slavery. That's not hyperbole. Go look it up. Look how they live. Look how they're treated. Look at the way they are trapped legally into a system they cannot get into out of once they get there. It's terrible. But we're going to tolerate it as long as we can watch the games. That part's on us. We should say so. We should tell people that it's wrong. And we shouldn't participate in it. If we were to actually boycott the Olympics, yes, I feel bad for the athletes. But that's China's argument as well. They're always going to argue that, well, it's for this, that, and the other. In the meantime, they're going to still get exactly what they want. At some point, we should stop giving them what they want and start bringing some real pressure for them to stop doing what they want to do, which is oppress all dissent, which is to crush people that aren't like them, which is to do wicked things in the name of China dominance of the globe. We still have free speech. We should use it against places like China and against places like Qatar. The ruling governments, again, the people are a separate thing, but the ruling governments of these countries need to be shown and need to be told that a wider world can use their technology to raise their voice and say, no, we see what you're doing. We see that you're treating humanity badly and we shouldn't tolerate it just because we want to watch some sports. More Hertel right after this. So welcome back to Heard Tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson. So glad you're with us today. Uh, you might have heard tell about this Elizabeth Holmes trial on Monday. The verdict came in late on Monday evening. Uh, the Theranos uh, trial, once the darling of Silicon Valley and a lot of other folks now ending in a conviction. She was convicted on four counts, found 
not guilty on other counts. And there was three counts that had a hung jury, either which way she will be going to sentencing shortly. I want to roll back the clock a little bit because this has been going on for quite a while. Uh, let's go back to 2016. Our friend Todd Kelly, who was on the program on our New Year's edition, and if you didn't catch him, please go back and watch that. Todd was covering this lady. He was covering this situation. Quoting from Todd Kelly in Ordinary-Times.com from 2016. But first, a quick note to those unfamiliar with Holmes. Her company, Theranos, claimed it had successfully developed technology that could cheaply test blood for any of the thousands of tests a traditional medical lab could and could do so with just a drop of blood taken from a fingertip. Think um, think like a diabetes home test kind of deal is what you're looking at here. Continuing with Todd Kelly. Medical labs today require significantly more than a drop taking intravenously. There are good reasons for this. One is that even in a sterile environment, it's extremely difficult to get a human finger to be clean to the point of where the risk of contamination doesn't exist. More information, more important, however, is the issue of heterogeneity. Although you might think of a blood as a single pure crimson liquid, it is actually a vast gumbo of various elements such as plasma, platelets, white and red blood cells, and a myriad of other types of cells, and they're not always evenly mixed. A single drop of blood, therefore, might well contain the very information you are looking for, such as whether or not you are likely to have cancer. But then again, it might not. Theranos' business model also eliminated the need for a medical doctor. If you wanted to know if you were HIV positive or had high cholesterol, you simply go to a contracted retailer, Walgreens or Safeway, for example, have your finger pricked, and in a day or so, your results would show up on an app on your phone. As world-changing technologies go, Theranos' was pretty astounding, or at least it would have been if it ever actually existed. As we now know, this is Todd Kelly writing in 2016, Ordinary-Times.com about Elizabeth Holmes. As we now know, even though Theranos tried for over a decade to make such tech work, they were never able to do so. But they told the public that it did work and began to market it anyway. In some instances, they would run the drops of their customers' blood through their own technology, which they had dubbed Edison. But in most cases, they simply diluted the drops of blood with water and ran them through their competitors' traditional machines. The results in both instances were highly inaccurate. Earlier this year, this is from 2016, remember, after it had completed its own investigation, the Medicare Council, which oversees medical laboratories in the U.S., declared that Theranos's blatant disregard for patient safety, that's a quote, put consumers of its product in immediate jeopardy. That's also a quote. The damage done to Theranos' customers either by convincing them they did not require medical intervention when they in fact did, or convincing them they needed treatments that they did not will likely never be truly known, such as the imprecise world of both medicine and the human body. The FBI is currently investigating, and criminal charges must be forthcoming. Again, this is from 2016, and then he goes on to break down what he thinks was wrong and he turned out to be very prescient back in 2016 and now uh, late on Monday evening she was convicted uh, found guilty on four charges relating to various parts of fraud now again uh, she was also found not guilty on several charges and there was several charges that were hung jury factor that in as you will but at the end of this piece way back in 2016 I wanted to point out two things that Todd Kelly pointed out that are prescient back then and still apply today as we hash through this verdict. And again, these big time cases, anytime we have a verdict, people just jump on the verdict. Remember, these things happen in a sequence, not in a vacuum. 
what got us to this verdict? How did this happen in the first place? Those are the information points you want to ask and the questions you want to ask whenever we have a high profile trial like Elizabeth Holmes, like a criminal trial, like all the trials we've been seeing lately. Always dig past the headlines, find out what's going on. So from Todd Kelly, going back to his fifth point on this piece in Ordinary Dash Time, why Arizona? Remember, they were setting up a company that was basically a front for a fraud operation for something that wasn't happening. Listen very carefully to this. When I first started out researching this story, I wondered why Walgreens started its Theranos Wellness Centers in Arizona. Neither was headquartered there. A lot of old snowbirds maybe was the only thing I could think of off the top of my head. This is good Big J journalism. This is reporting. Listen carefully to what Todd's doing here. Quoting from the piece, now I know that the reason everything was being done in Arizona was Arizona House Bill 2645. Again, this is from 2016, ordinary-times.com. It turns out, Todd Kelly writes, and I know this will come as a shock to you, the most states have laws against medically testing people without a doctor's consent, especially by medical testing facilities using procedures not approved by the FDA. Go figure. Turns out that Arizona also once had laws like this on the book. HB 2645 essentially lifted those regulations so that Theranos could begin selling its test to Arizona citizens. What is truly amazing, however, is exactly how Holmes and Theranos got Arizona's legislator and governor to adopt Theranos's language and change existing state law. Not by showing anyone that their product worked, obviously, because it clearly hadn't, and because they refused to show to anyone any kind of data of any kind. No, they got the Arizona GOP-controlled government to give a green light by noting that Theranos' board was made up almost entirely of members of the Hoover Institute, a conservative think tank out of Palo Alto. I talked with several of the reporters who were at the testimonies prior to voting, and all tell the same story. Not one legislator grilling Holmes or Theranos asked a single question about their product's efficiency or anything at all related to the medicine, diagnostics, or medical lab standards. One rep did ask if patients would be able to understand the results they would receive. Holmes apparently said yes, and that was good enough for everyone involved. As House Speaker David Gowan correctly noted, you're talking to free market-minded people here, so you're talking to the right tone. You're taking the right tone, excuse me. This deserves highlighting, especially here at Ordinary Times, because it is not really a case of market capture or of crony capitalism. It is rather a case of what conservatives and libertarians insist we need more of, sweeping deregulation across the board that favors innovation and that applies to all companies equally. So if there's one some so if there is someone that didn't get treatment soon enough because they got back botched results from the test they got at Walgreens thanks to a state-approved circumvention of medical standard diagnostic procedures, I suppose they can be comforted in knowing that the market worked. Yay. Now, I agree with Todd. This is Todd Kelly writing all the way back in 2016. Anytime we have a bad verdict and a bad trial about bad things happening, scratch the surface far enough, you're going to find some government unaccountability somewhere along the lines. Todd scratched it. Todd did the legwork. Todd did the journalism, and he found the problem. And the problem was in running regulations and doing it for untoward reasons. This is, of course, a bipartisan product. We could find other cases of other parties doing it, but in this case, it was the GOP. So let's lower some invective onto their heads. It's deregulation in and of itself is not a bad thing, of course. Some things need to be regulated. Some things need to be regulated less than they are now. 
But the problem with the regulation is it's just a tool. Regulation is a tool like anything else. It's all in how it's used. And an unaccountable government that isn't worried about better things for most of its citizenship and doesn't have any kind of accountability can use that tool to do a whole lot of damage. I'm not against deregulation. I'm not for heavily regulating everything on all reasons. I am for having some common sense in our government that some things need to be regulated. And above all else, regulation should not be discarded for crony reasons or for political reasons or ideology reasons. These things have wide sweeping impacts on people. But the good news, something we could fix. We just got to care enough to pay attention and actually try to fix it and bring attention to it and complain about it and make noise about it and use your social media for something other than sending cat pictures. Use it to pressure your government and institutions like the FDA and regulatory agencies to be more accountable and raise the alarm on fraudsters like the Elizabeth Holmes before people get hurt. More hurt tell right after this. Uh, it's hard to tell. Always thrilled to be joined with M. Carpenter, our legal eagle, uh, senior editor at Ordinary-Times.com. How are you today, Mel? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Good. Uh, I know one of your pet peeves is always um, bad legal takes. Uh, we have been two years into COVID now. Why can't people get their minds wrapped around what Nuremberg codes and what <laughs> HIPAA is? What's the problem here? Where's the breakdown on all this stuff? Uh, that makes them feel like they're saying something smart. And most and so many people don't know what those things are or what they actually mean that other people think that it sounds smart, too. So you just end up with kind of a vicious circle of bad takes about Nuremberg and, and HIPAA and comparing uh, new vaccines to the terrible experiments and committed on prisoners and uh, concentration camps in World War II, totally the same thing. And those are probably some of them, the more atrocious bad takes um, that we see right now. Any anytime you're making a comparison to the Holocaust, it's a, it's a bad bad idea. Um, but I think they just you know feel like they're really scoring some points there when when they bring out the big guns like federal law and international <laughs> war crimes. But it sounds so good. Nuremberg uh, protocols or whatever the terminology is, it sounds big. It sounds important, but it's really nothing like what they say it is anyway, especially when it's applied to something like, you know, vaccines. Right. It's a it's a set of guidelines um, or a code for medical experimentation that came about because of these experiments that were done on prisoners in World War Two. Um, I mean, I, it's not a federal, like a United States federal law. You can't go to prison for violating the Nuremberg Codes under American law. Um, you can probably be uh, held to account for it in an international court as part of a war crimes trial if, if it's done during wartime. But um, no, it, it's not really a thing that is um, definitely doesn't have anything to do with vaccines. And furthermore, um, there has been a history in this country of vaccines not being good. The government has done some untoward things mm -hmm. in our past. So it's not unfair to question those things. But that's not what this is. That's is not honest questioning. No, it's not. No, this is just 
this is just chest pounding. This is just uh, exaggeration for effect. This is just trying to collect some Twitter follows and get some clout. Yeah. And speaking of clout, uh, one thing that is completely abused by uh, the pseudo lawyers on social media is free speech. Uh, Talk about some of the ways you've just seen free speech absolutely talked ridiculously about online lately. Well, if I never see the phrase fire in a crowded theater again, it would be too soon. Uh, I think they've beat that to death with very little understanding of it. Um, Anytime it's a non-government entity like, you know, Twitter kicking you off and people start screaming about free speech, that's frustrating um, because (laughs) Twitter's not the government. I know now there's been some argument um, even from people who know what they're talking about that, you know, it's, it's such a public square and, and being shut out of it is, is a bad thing, no doubt. But uh, you're not free of consequences from private companies. And uh, another legal take I want to point out here, a bad legal take is just because it's publicly traded does not mean it's not a private company. I see that quite often, too. And people say, but it's publicly traded. It's not a private company. That's not how that works. Now, and explain uh, that a little bit, because the public there is not who owns the company. It's who that's a stakeholder thing. That's a business thing. Contract law towards that's That's a totally different thing. Kind of dig into that for a second. Explain it to folks because they don't understand that the legal term public means a little different than just the mass of people walking back and forth around Walmart. Right. Public means its own. <laughs> I don't know about owed, but it's it, it's a government-run entity. When they talk about public, they're talking about government agencies and you know um, even municipal government, not just federal government. Thing that's not a company that is people can buy stock in. I, I have one share of Twitter stock. I like to say I own Twitter because I have that one share of Twitter stock, and I just play around with it. So, but that doesn't mean that I am now the government and I can um, violate somebody's freedom of speech. First of all, I don't have any control over Twitter. None of the the people who own stock have the ability. Well, they may if they run the company, but in general, the the public who owns Twitter stock, they don't have the ability to go in and and delete tweets and kick people off. So there's no there's no government action happening here on Twitter that we know of. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Facebook's trying really hard to do that, but that's a separate situation. Uh, Talk about it this way, though, because people have a hard time understanding it. Who does own Twitter? Because it's a company, but since everybody uses it, you know, they don't think of it like a house or a business or a physical location or a piece of property, but it's still property. Twitter owns Twitter. Uh, why is that such a hard legal concept for people to get their heads around? Is it because we all use it so we feel ownership on it? But that's not how the law's written, is it? No, and I think you're right. It's just it's so ubiquitous to, to the people on Twitter. It seems ubiqu- ubiquitous. I know a lot of people who don't have Twitter accounts and way more people have Facebook accounts that have Twitter accounts. So it seems like it's uh part of everybody's life, but it isn't. And I think that's just something that happens when you're very online, especially on Twitter, when you're somebody who spends a lot of time on there, like I do, and like I know you do. And um, it, it seems like, well, everybody has this. So it's the same as telling people they can't stand in the town square and, and speak when that's a violation of free speech. No, it, it, that, it's not the same thing. And anybody can open up a Twitter account. It's just that if they can't follow the rules, which as a private company, they are allowed to make their own rules, then they can be uh, kicked off the platform. And it's, and it's, 
people get very angry about that and they feel like they're being kicked out of this big universal experience um, because it can feel like that sometimes. But let's run this out to the end game because I think people get wrapped up in the moment of, oh, I'm being censored or this person's being silenced. But you're a lawyer. I'm not. You explain it. What would be the end game if they didn't, if something like a Twitter or a Facebook as nefarious as Facebook can be, we've seen what they're doing lobbying wise. What would the end game be if they couldn't have control over their own platforms like that and couldn't control it? Because that would be the end of open and free expression. Also, you're kind of killing what you're saying you're proclaiming if you don't have those legal protections for the companies, correct? Correct. I think you end up, you know, if Twitter gets taken over by, you know, let's say the the really um, vile white supremacists that aren't even, you know, veiled in, in their vitriol, they get on there and they say that, you know, the most terrible things. And um, pretty soon you run every all the good people off and then they, their business model goes in the garbage. When you, If it gets taken over by people that no one wants to be associated with, you don't want to see them in their timeline and there's no way to stop it. And, you know, you just end up with a cesspool that no one um, with any sense wants to be a part of. And the next thing you know, Twitter is gone. <laughs> All right. Talking to M. Carpenter, senior editor at Ordinary-Times.com. She's one of our legal experts we love to have on. Her Wednesday writs are always excellent at Ordinary-Times.com. Make sure you check with that. We're going to ask her more legal questions, more bad legal takes, and uh, we're going to set her up uh, on some food questions, too, right after this on Hurtel. Ah, welcome back to Hurtel. We're talking to M. Carpenter, our legal eagle. Um, something that's been all over the news, especially in your part of the world. Folks want to talk about uh, these vaccine lotteries, and we've talked about them a little bit, too. One of the bad legal takes I see on social media all the time is that that is coercion or a company saying that somebody getting a vaccine, that that is coercion. But legally speaking, uh, coercion is a very specific legal term, isn't it? It can be. It depends on where you live, if it's actually defined in your code, in the code, uh, you know, your your jurisdiction or not. But um, coercion doesn't mean incentive. And that's what these lotteries are. They're not coercion. They're incentive. Nobody is is taking you out of out of society if you don't. Um, yeah, I guess maybe some people won't argue what that means. I say taking you out of society, but um, coercion is, is, you know, you're going to go to prison or you're going to go to jail if you don't do this. That's perhaps coercive. Um, and again, coercive is not necessarily always a uh, illegal thing. You know, um, you're going to get a ticket if you speed. That's coercion to drive the speed limit. It's not a bad, it's not, <laughs> it's not illegal to, to do that. But these vaccine lotteries are not coercive. They're incentives. Um, I entered every single one of them. And I didn't get a darn thing. So, uh, and still I got my vaccine. So can't, <laughs> you can't say coercive when you have a choice. Um, and if you want to get into whether some places, not where I live, but other places where, you know, you can't go into a restaurant or the, you know, those types of things, you may start to feel like not being vaccinated, you're being shut out of society or you're, you know, you don't really have a choice. It's either stay in your house all the time or you have to get a vaccine, you know, that kind of thing. I can understand, you know, there being some argument there about how far we can go with that, but um you know, enter your name in this drawing and you might win a truck. You can't enter your name in the drawing unless you've had a vaccine. That's that's just incentive, not coercion. Yeah. And we covered on the show that the, the guy that won the uh, 
80 some thousand dollar customized truck actually was trying to sell it because he's got to pay the taxes on it. But that's another matter for another day. Yep. <laughs> um, let, let's zoom out for a second. 2021 was the year of really big, really loud trials. Um, I don't want to get into the specifics of all these trials. We just had another one with Elizabeth Holmes in the last few days, had that verdict come down on Monday. What's a healthy way for an average person to kind of sift through some of this stuff? Now, you're a lawyer, so you understand the terminology, but it doesn't seem like we cover these big trials, whether it's that or the Rittenhouse or the Aubrey case or pick whatever big name case you want to talk about. Supreme Court cases, we're going to have a bunch of them come springtime. Um, what's a healthy way for the average person to try to get some good legal information because they may not know all the ins and the outs of the law, but our you know news media doesn't do a real good job of explaining these things other than the outrage of whatever the verdict is, either which way. What would you tell people to do? Well, first of all, I would say that to, they need to watch if they're going to watch these trials, they need to try to take a step back and watch with a more disinterested view. Um, you know, depending on what side you're on, it's easy to villainize the opposite side. If you're, um, you know, if you were pro-prosecution in the Rittenhouse case, it was easy to think that the defense attorneys were um re-victimizing the alleged victims or, you know, being um, unfair or that that's, you know, they're doing their job there. And a, a lot of what you see, people watch these trials and they don't understand that these things they are seeing that seem unusual or outrageous are not un, unheard of. I remember, I believe it was the Rittenhouse judge who told a, um, a biblical story, uh, some sort of a a religious story. And I know people got very uh, worked up about that, but his, the meaning of the story was relevant to the point that he was making. It was kind of an anecdote. It wasn't necessary. It was more of the judge injecting some color into things. It wasn't a moralizing or, you know, proselytizing. It was just kind of a historical anecdote um, that, what happened to be a, a biblical story. And those types of things happen all the time in court. Some judges are very colorful and they do like to tell stories and they talk a lot and, and that happens. So you have to, I think the best way maybe to get a, a handle on things is not to, you know, watch the legal talking heads on your favorite news station um, or to read a, you know, BuzzFeed article or something. But maybe if you have any lawyers in your life, talk to them. And you're probably going to be surprised by what you hear. Um, I know that a lot of people in my life were very surprised whenever I told them I agreed with the Rittenhouse verdict, because I don't know if you know this about me, but I skew liberal. <laughs> and uh, most people who skew liberal were very upset about the verdict and thought that that was a miscarriage of justice. I, on the other hand, agreed with the jury um, based on what I saw. So I think if you talk to the lawyers in your life, if you're lucky enough to have one of us around you, uh, I think that might be the best way to kind of get some perspective and get a handle on what you're seeing and ask questions. Um, most lawyers understand that you're not a lawyer and you don't necessarily know why uh, something happens in court. And I'm not most of us are more than happy to tell you what we know. We're kind of known for that. <laughs> See, I was with you right until the end there when you did the lawyer thing and made it all about you, but that's neither <laughs> here nor there. Um, one way to follow up on that, though, is people that have never been in a trial or been in a legal action, I don't think they understand what a self-contained ecosystem of trial is, especially a long trial. 
Like it's mm-hmm. its own life form. You're in it that it completely consumes you for a couple of weeks or however long the trial goes. Some of these big cases, it could be a month or two sometimes, maybe years in a way. These things are mm-hmm. completely uh, self-encased ecosystems, really. And we get these little glimpses through technology of clips, like most of the clips of, of the judge in the Rittenhouse case, people are getting, they don't understand the jury's not in the room for that sort of stuff. These are all aside. Right. Like there's a lot of nuance to these things where, a lot of things that come off as outrageous, and I'm not defending anything that just did. I'm just talking broadly here. People just get bored because they're in that courtroom eight, nine, 10, 11 hours a day, day after day after day, week after week after week. There's going to be a sides. And then in the kind of the age we live in, that's what comes out on social media, not the you know 38 hours of boredom that week. And people kind of draw conclusions from them. And that's not a healthy way to look at these big cases at all, is it? No, it's not. And, and, and that's, again, when you're, it's being televised and it's being talked about, that's, those are the moments they're going to pull out. But you're correct. There's so much that happens during a trial that is mind-numbing. I personally could not stand listening to jury instructions. Not, the, not the necessarily the case-specific jury instructions, but most judges have a very long soliloquy of sort of general instructions about the jury's role and what they what they can and can't consider and um, a lot of kind of lofty speech and um, the judges that I've practiced in front of, I've, you know, does get very long winded in my opinion. It's necessary. It is important, but those that's an example of the type of thing that can just be absolutely mind numbing. Um, it's not, it's not as fun. Like you see on TV when the lawyer jumps up and screams objection and goes on a rant, you don't get to do that. Uh, most of the time you just object and give a basis like objection relevance or objection hearsay. You don't get to say objection, your honor, we're blah, 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 and you keep talking. You're not supposed to do that. Um, if you want to explain your objection, quite often you get called up to the bench and they do it, um, kind of in whispers at the bench out of the where the jury can't hear and they turn the white new and the white noise on the microphone and you know you chat up at the bench and a lot of that you know, doesn't get caught on on um, those microphones when these are televised so it's it's interesting to me to watch a televised trial because i think they do a pretty good job of cutting away to the talking heads while the boring stuff is happening but you miss a lot of the nuance that way yeah all right Here's some nuance for you. You are a proud West Virginian. Your Twitter handle is actually West Virginia Esquirus. Let people know, because you're talking to a worldwide audience through the magic of the interwebs, what is the proper way to have a pepperoni roll? (laughs) Ah, gosh, warm. I like my pepperoni roll warm. I like it with cheese. I prefer sliced pepperoni first. Um, I can do the ground up pepperoni. That's fine. Uh, I'll take the stick pepperoni, but it's probably my third favorite. Um, the greasier, the better. It has to be yeast roll, soft dough. Don't give me any of this. Wrap the pepperoni up in a crescent roll. Crap, that's not a pepperoni roll. I don't know what that is, but it is not a pepperoni roll. Um, <laughs> so the best way to have one is just to have one. Come to West Virginia and get a real one. Um, don't don't go to some gas station in, in um, Ohio and and get a pepperoni roll doesn't count go to fairmont that's where that's where i'm from that's where the pepperoni rolls originated that's that's the best place to go i'm uh, particularly fond of colossus pepperoni buns which is a little different than a pepperoni roll because it's um basically more like a hoagie they cut it it's not all inside the bun they cut the bun open and put the sauce and cheese and pepperoni inside it like a sandwich 
uh, Country Club Bakery in Fairmont's another great place, and Chico Bakery in Morgantown. Those are my favorites. I'm pretty far away from them, so down here, if I want a good pepperoni roll, I have to make it myself. Yeah, I uh, folks need to uh, add those. If you're those triple D kind of people that have your list going of travel places to go eat, you can add all of those now. Um, I don't like the stick pepperoni because it's too hard to eat once you get into the actual roll, because inevitably what ends up happening is you take a bite and you end up pulling half of it out. So Agree. I'm, I'm not a stick person. I'm a slice person because I like to have that little bit of layer action going, especially if it's a pepperoni roll with cheese in it. It definitely needs to be layered. Yes. Um, and do not use a crescent roll. If you're making your own and you just have no other option, uh, Get the you can get the canned sheet pizza dough. That's better than nothing. Just don't do crescent roll dough. Just well, actually, in my opinion, if you're going to... If, if you're going to cheat, get frozen dinner roll dough, you know, that come in the balls, the frozen yep. balls of dough. Let yep. those thaw, use those if you're going to cheat. Better than pizza crust, way better than the crescent roll and just as simple in my opinion. But yeah. if you can't make your own dough, that's my next best. And my, uh, my uh, grocery store, they actually sell fresh dough balls at the deli counter. So some of your grocery stores, you can check that out. That's an easy way to do it. Grab it, get you some sliced pepperoni, throw it in there. Uh, I still prefer my... Uh, my meats from Jackson's Meat Market back home. I always stop at the gas station who sells those directly from them on my way in and out of town every time. But you got to have your good pepperoni is essential. Uh, M. Carpenter, senior editor. Her Twitter handle is at West Virginia Esquire. She can see it on the screen. Thank you so much for your time today, ma'am. Really appreciate your insight. Thank you for having me. Uh, we'll do it every week with you if you'll let us. We appreciate you. Thanks. Have a good day. Back to her tell. So you probably heard tell about this Let's Go Brandon thing that's been going on. Uh, for those of you that don't live very online or wonder what that is, basically what happened was a uh, NASCAR driver in the Infinity Series was getting interviewed. The crowd behind him, his name was Brandon. Uh, the crowd behind him started chanting about the president in a not uh, friendly fashion, as sporting events uh, want to do with certain folks. And the reporter who's doing a live shot was just trying to save the live shot and explain why people were yelling expletives about the president during an interview, said, well, they're chanting, let's go, Brandon, when very clearly they were not. She was interviewing Brandon at the time, and the thing kind of took one life of its own. Uh, fast forward a little bit to the modern time, uh, writing in the Washington Times, this is by Tom Basile, hope I'm pronouncing his name right. He says this, quoting from the Washington Times, let's start the year off with some honesty and clarity. It's not a slur, nor is it offensive or just about Joe Biden. Let's go, Brandon, is a salve. Salve. How do you say that fancy word? Salve, 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 band-aid, whatever. It is a salve for a population that looks at Washington's aged, swampy, and out-of-touch leadership. It's a way of saying to them, we see right through your spin. At a time when America's caustic politics needs some levity, the saying is a winner. It says so much without being crude. Frankly, out of respect for the presidency, I'd much rather people chant, let's go, Brandon, than the expletive-laden alternative that was catching on at sporting events. The change made the slogan funny and less edgy and more palatable for broader use. It is also about much more. And he goes on to list a list of grievances that he thinks let's go, Brandon, is an appropriate response to. That's from Tom Basile. Uh, all due respect to Tom, I disagree with him. Uh, people are not stupid. They understand exactly what you're saying. Yes, it is caustic. Yes, it is still crude just because you're being clever about it. Frankly, you have a God-given right in the United States of America with our free speech rights 
to tell the president and or any other elected official and or anybody else exactly what they can go do with themselves and use an expletive if you want to, up to and including anatomically impossible feats. Now, short of actually threatening violence and things like that against the president, which will get you a call from the Secret Service, you can say anything you want. I'd rather you just be upfront about it. If you want to use the expletive, be the ex- expletive. If you want to use let's go Brandon instead of the expletive, fine, but let's not pretend like we don't know what you mean. Now, you can apply whatever meaning you want to it, and that's fine. Again, it's your right. I'll defend your right to say it all you want to, but I also have a right to understand exactly what you mean by it and also factor into you using it that you're just trying to be too clever by half. Free speech is a two-edged sword. Just keep that in mind before you start slicing and dicing at people with something too clever by half like let's go Brandon. Personally, if you want to drop an F-bomb on somebody, have at it. At least you're being honest. If you want to do Let's Go Brandon, though, don't pretend like everybody doesn't know what you're talking about, and don't pretend like you're not trying to be crass, because you still are. You can chant Let's Go Brandon, and we can all make assumptions and declarative statements about it right back at you. Do as you will. Do as your rank can handle. We'll be back with more Hertel right after this. Welcome back to Heard Tell. You know, we always enjoy trying to leave you on a happy note or an uplifting note at the end of the program. Uh, And this is a melancholy note, but it's for a good cause. Uh, Pink's Hot Dogs. If you've ever been to L.A., know anything about L.A., Pink's Hot Dogs is kind of the famous hot dog stand out there. Tourist destination, place people go. Uh, They have multiple locations, but Pink's Hot Dogs honored the late Betty White, who we talked about died on New Year's Eve. Uh, by donating proceeds of their sales uh, to her beloved naked dog to the L.A. Zoo. I read from KTLA. That's the t- main TV station out in L.A. Pink's Hot Dogs is honoring the late Betty White by donating all proceeds from sales of their Betty White naked dog to the Los Angeles Zoo. Now, naked dog is just that. It's just a plain hot dog in a bun. Real old school stuff here. To honor the legendary Betty White, uh, Pinks will donate 100% of the proceeds for seven days for each Betty White naked dog purchase at the Pinks on La Brea at Melrose to the L.A. Zoo. Rest in peace, Betty White. The advertisement on social media read, the location was adorned with a pink sign reading, Betty White, we will love you forever on Monday. White was photographed with her namesake toppingless hot dog at the grand opening of the Pinks location at Universal City Walk in 2010. White died at the age of 99 on Friday, just weeks before her 100th birthday. I don't know if they're as good as the uh, what we call the damn hot dogs back home, the Dairy Queen that's beside the dam. No, I'm not cursing. It's beside the dam by the lake. My hometown started out as Dairy Queen. Now it's Fat Eddie's, but we still call them the damn hot dogs, a little tongue-in-cheek. Um, fortunately, they didn't name the dam after the town that the lake took because if we put Gad in front of the hot dogs, we might all be in trouble with the FCC. As it is, though, I'm always for a good hot dog. Not a whole lot of things in the world a good hot dog won't fix, so go find you one. That'll do it for Heard Tell today. So appreciate you watching and listening, however you are. If you're watching on the YouTube channel, uh, there's a new feature on there. There's a playlist. It's called Heard Tell Good Talks. That's just the interview segments with the great guests we have on the program. Make sure you check that out. It's a neat way, a little shorter bites, but gets you straight to the guests. Uh, Adding more to that from the back catalog as we go, and all the new episodes will automatically go on there. That's just the interviews. That's under Herd Tell. Good talks on the playlist on the YouTube channel. If you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, you really need to. 
Uh, lots of good content on there. There's also some other media things I have been doing on there. Uh, full episodes of both Herd Tell, the weekday show, and Herd Tell podcast, the long form. Uh, you can get all of that at the YouTube channel. You can also get it on all the podcasting platforms, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Uh, there's an RSS feed if you want to do it yourself. All those methods will get you Herd Tell every weekday, plus the long form podcast and anything else we put out there for you. We so appreciate it. When you are on those platforms, if you can leave a question or a comment or a rating, we will get back to you. And we greatly appreciate those ratings and the uh, feedback that you give us. Let's other people know that our program is worth checking out. Only costs you a couple of clicks, but it means the world to us. Let's us know you're out there. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, you really want to do a solid, get on your social media and share it. Uh, all those platforms have sharing links. Click on it, put us out on your social media, let people know where to find us. We would sure appreciate it. In the meantime, uh, halfway through the week, got a couple more days to go. Got a lot of great guests lined up for the next few days going through next week. Our partnership with Young Voices, we're going to have a couple of them folks on there. Uh, some really in-depth topics are coming up that are not getting talked about in the news media, even from people that are in the news media. Stay tuned for that. We're going to have them on this program and they can talk about it and get that information out to you, get those stories out to you. It's what we do. We turn down the noise. We get to the information that matters. We try to discern our times. Wherever you and yours are, we hope you're well. We hope you're well fed. We'll see you tomorrow on Hertel. All the music on Hertel is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.